Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ness, and in each episode, we highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. All right, now I'm going to talk briefly about the sponsors that make this podcast possible. And keep in mind that all the money from these sponsors goes towards hiring outdoor journalism interns. This year, we've hired three interns and paid them $15 per hour. And over the course of this podcast, we've hired seven different interns, not only helping us report on Oregon's outdoors, but also teaching young college students journalistic skills that they can carry forward. Plus, it's a pretty fun internship anyway. They get to travel outdoors, report about the environment. It's a good gig, and these sponsors make it possible. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that before we get rolling. So this part you'll recognize. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast, which reminds you that winter safety is paramount, especially during the king tides and heavy rains that characterize this season. King tides result from the gravitational pull of the moon and sun and can cause exceptionally high tides that flood coastal areas at specific moments. Stay informed, heed warnings, and be prepared for rapidly changing conditions to ensure winter safety on the Oregon coast. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department invites Oregonians to explore parks this fall and winter to experience the beauty of those seasons. If you're camping, remember to get firewood from sources local to your destination to avoid bringing invasive insects, such as the devastating emerald ash borer, into parks. This will help preserve the health of Oregon's forests for seasons to come. Learn more about protecting Oregon's ash trees at stateparks.oregon.gov. All right, in today's episode, we're returning to Northeast Oregon's Wallawa County to talk about not the lake or the mountains, but the lesser known prairie area. But first, here's some guitar music to get us going. Alright, so in this episode, we're going up to the Zumwalt Prairie Preserve, a 51 square mile sanctuary owned by a private nonprofit but open to the public. The Nature Conservancy bought this land in 2000 to protect the grassland and its many plant and animal communities and have since opened it up a hiking trails that you can check out. So depending on where you go, you can see rare plants, wildlife canyons, views, water flows, and more. The preserve is located outside the remote town of Imnaha, about a 40-minute drive from Enterprise. Our outdoors intern, Olivia Stevens, visited Zumwalt Prairie last month to check out what makes the preserve so striking and worth visiting. Hey, Olivia, how's it going? Hey, Zach. Excited to talk about the very remote and also very stunning Zumwalt Prairie. Zumwalt, that's what it is. Not Zumwalt, Zumwalt. So that's how we pronounce that. <laughs> now we've got we've got a lot to dig into here, but first of all, let's hear your first impression 
of the prairie because when you head out to northeast Oregon's Wallowa Mountains, you know, you come down that beautiful valley and then the mountains rise above, you know, 9,000 feet, the snow-capped tops, the vast backcountry. But the Zumwalt is pretty different. So, you know, what was your impressions of it? I know it's popular in the spring. It's got dark skies. But, you know, what was your experience? Yeah, so I went out in the fall, um, late September-ish. And I knew that my experience is going to be a little bit different as I kind of came in the evening as soon as I got to Eastern Oregon. Um, a lot of times people come down there because there's really amazing displays of springtime flowers like the hoary balsam root or the silky lupine. Um, and typically I wouldn't have thought of pra prairie land as super exciting hiking territory. So I was curious to learn what drew people to the Zumwalt and which trails were worthwhile. Some of the things I did was traveling up buttes, going down valleys, um, walking around grazing fields. And I spoke with people who manage the land about the delicate nature of this specific type of ecosystem and why it's so important. I also had the good fortune to tour the prairie with the person who manages the land, who is Jeff Fields of the Nature Conservancy. He drove us into the prairie on a beautiful evening, and it took us about 40 minutes from downtown Enterprise down a super windy, hilly, 14-mile stretch um, of the bumpy Zumwalt Road. Uh, we finally spotted the sign marking the Nature Conservancy's land, and by this time, our cell service was long gone. Well, it sounds like a pretty remote place, and I'm sure you'd want to make sure to have a map downloaded beforehand to keep from getting lost. Uh, what was it like being that deep in, you know, in a pr remote prairie like that? Yeah, I mean, I was just super surprised, first of all, by how varied the landscape was driving through. Going kind of up and down in elevation super often, it kind of felt like you were going onto a different planet, which was just super interesting. Um, I had usually thought of prairie land as flat and like pretty monotonous. But the Zumwalt, in contrast, is really rocky and hilly with a lot of different interesting corners and crevices to explore. Fields told me that what draws people to the land goes way beyond the sights. Um, I'll play you that part of our interview, but just a warning, it was pretty windy out there. So I would invite you just to um, close your eyes, open your ears, and, we'll, and I'll just shut up for a minute. <laughs> That's what a lot of people really uh, enjoy. There, um, you know, as I said, we're surrounded by national forest lands, and there was a district ranger just immediately before the fellow we have now. And I was surprised to hear, and we work with them on various projects and things, but I was surprised to hear her tell me one day this was her recharge place. You know, she was in charge of several million acres of public land in this landscape but for her she could come out here get away from it it was a piece of property where she could recharge it wasn't a piece of property that she had responsibility for right you know so that was probably a big part of it for her it's like she could come out and just unplug and relax but i thought that was kind of interesting that um, you know district ranger with access to all the beautiful places in this county absolutely um, Choose, choose here. Choose here. So what are the ways that people typically experience the Zumwalt? You know, if you're, if you're going to go out there and you want to check it out, and it has become a little bit more 
of not necessarily a household name in Oregon, but I feel like people do know about the, the Zumwalt at this point. So if you're going to go out there, you're going to make the trip. How do you do it? Sure. So for me, um, going in the fall, the biggest draw was completing the accessible yet really pretty hikes that, you know, people can kind of do year round if possible. There are like four, there are four main paths that you can take. And I'd recommend each one dependent that depending on like the type of time of year you visit and the difficulty. So um, Patty's Trail is a 2.3 mile easy loop on flat land that brings people through old homesteaders fields and native prairie to the headwaters of Camp Creek. It's actually the most accessible hiking trail and it would be really beautiful to take when the wildflowers dot the landscape in the spring and late summer. It's basically flat land though so it wasn't as super interesting to look at in the fall when the grassland was kind of just um, straight golden. And then a little bit further down the road is Harson Butte, which I scaled for really gorgeous panoramic views of the prairie and some nearby canyons. Um, this trail is about 0.8 miles each way up and down the butte, so about two miles round trip, but it's pretty strenuous, 700 feet scramble. Um, there's not actually an easily marked trail to go up, but you can kind of choose your own path to go up and down. It's pretty easy. I actually didn't do the Canyon Vista Trail um, as it's the most remote one and is hard to get to, but those with high clearance vehicles can access it to hike some beautiful wild country. The trail itself is 1.8 miles in and out, but getting there is a really is a commitment as the road might be impassable. And then finally, Horned Lark Trail loops through the Pine Creek Riparian area and diverse native prairie for an easy 1.9 miles. Oh, well, it's good to have an idea of what makes each trail distinctive. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Olivia is going to tell us more about what makes the Zumwalt so important as an ecosystem and how the Nature Conservancy is working to maintain its beauty. So stay with us. I'm Andy Geisler. I'm a forester at the American Forest Resource Council, and we're proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. Like you, I love the outdoors. On many days, the forest is my office. I work on the ground with public lands agencies on good forest management projects. Forest management helps achieve important conservation goals while providing sustainable timber. Science-based forestry helps improve wildlife habitat, outdoor recreation, clean air and water. And it's essential to providing renewable, climate-friendly wood products. Learn more about us at amforest.org. This message is brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast. The Tillamook Coast welcomes you for local coastal adventures. And while we invite you to explore the natural beauty of Oregon's coast during the winter season, we also advise you to be aware of winter weather and plan for it. You may picture yourself hiking through lush forests, beachcombing along rocky shores, or discovering tide pools teeming with life. Yes, the Tillamook Coast offers a unique playground for outdoor enthusiasts and nature lovers alike. But nature's power is undeniable, especially during king tides and heavy rains. Stay safe by checking tide schedules and monitoring coastal flood warnings. Always keep an eye on weather forecasts and road conditions. Remember to pack essentials like water, flashlights, and warm clothing. If you plan to hike, avoid areas prone to landslides during or after heavy rainfall. 
explore our region's winter wonders, but do so with safety in mind and a deep respect for the forces of nature. To learn more about winter weather on the Tillamook Coast, visit TillamookCoast.com and plan your unforgettable winter journey. All right, welcome back. So Olivia, I'm sure it was interesting to learn about the prairie from a more scientific perspective. I wonder if Fields or anyone you talked to filled you in about the value of the land as an ecosystem and, you know, what they're doing to take care of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, The Zumwalt is actually the largest remaining grassland of its type in North America, which has made its protection extremely important to fields and everyone else at the Nature Conservancy in in Eastern Oregon. Uh, The preserve is actually home to a dozen native bunch grasses and about 100 wildflower species, and it's a really great spot for spotting an array of raptors as well. Um, The threatened Spelding's catchfly blooms in mid to late July, and there's some declining hawk species that make their home there for bird watchers. Fields told me that the Zumwalt's high elevation and rocky landscape has really made it easier to preserve this land because it's not as viable for farming as some of the other lands more north that have been developed. Um, Instead, the Nature Conservancy works to balance economic and environmental interests by allowing for sustainable grazing of cows on certain parts of the prairie. It takes a ton of work to maintain that delicate balance, but it's been really rewarding to Fields as the manager. Um, I'll let him share more about that. I think I've loved working for Nature Conservancy, and I think it applies to the other areas I've worked also, but it certainly applies here, is that being able to work in the same landscape multiple years, seeing it in all seasons as it changes from one season to the next, is super gratifying, you know. And, um, but I'll tell you, the, the thing that attracted me to apply for this job and move up from the John Day area wasn't the grassland, wasn't the cows. It was the fact that this was a project that was embedded in the community. From the get-go, uh, the organization decided they were going to have a livestock grazing program. They were going to do events that included the community. It wasn't going to to pay taxes, we're going to have a local base, it's going to be a community-based project, and that's, I think, the way conservation has to be, you know, it can't be a museum piece that you just set aside, it has to be active, it has to be dynamic, it has to include, where there, there's a metal or flannel, um, has to include the grazers and the hunters and the people that come out to bird watch. Yeah. You know, yeah, sure. flower watch. It actually, and it takes it takes a lot of work to keep it community based and to make sure all the stakeholders are happy with the decisions that Jeff and the Nature Conservancy make. Ongoing projects for the Nature Conservancy include restoring riparian areas for fish and birds and improving. St- stream function and growing vulnerable aspen and shrub communities. The OSU students I talked to, like me, hadn't seen anything like the Zoom Alt before, and being there offered them some practical skills in environmental science. Catherine Gibbs came all the way from Seattle to be a part of this class that stayed on the prairie for five days. She said it felt special to be able to give back to a place that, despite its ecological importance, often gets overlooked. Ah, it sounds cheesy to say like a family, 
but there's so few people that care about this teeny tiny corner of the world that it just feels extra special being here and taking care of it. And I don't know if Jeff has talked about the attention versus intention, but you give attention to this place and it gives back and you have an intention about it. You're not just wandering around aimlessly and like there's a purpose to it all. And it's just hard and tedious, but you know, it's worth it. Um. Why should, like, a, just a random person that's not and isn't a scientist be interested in the prairie? Like, why would someone want to come here and see this? Well, for one, it's beautiful. It's stunning landscape. But also, grasslands are a very important biome for biodiversity. I know it just looks like a bunch of rolling hills of grass and some rocks, but the biodiversity is super-duper important for, like, the overall health of nature I guess and it's not you know hot list to go like going to the mountains you know that's sick going to the river that's cool the desert sign me up at the prairie it's just you think of like rolling fields of wheat but out here it's so much more it's beautiful it's stunning the stars are amazing the sky is amazing the plants are amazing if you know what to look for so I highly, highly, highly recommend at least once getting out into a literal field. So considering the Nature Conservancy is working uh, to be good stewards of the prairie, how are they making sure community members take full advantage of the space? So keeping in mind the Nez Perce indigenous people were the first stewards of the land, do they allow for cultural practices or how does that go? Yeah, so I mean, Field said he prioritizes facilitating human connections with the prairie despite it being so remote and at times difficult to access. The Nature Conservancy is invited in some a lot of different groups, such as workshops through the local arts organization Fish Trap. Um, so they'll have groups out, come out and maybe like paint the landscape or just however the landscape inspires them. They'll kind of have to put that into some type of art form. And then, like you mentioned, the Nez Perce traditionally harvested first foods on the prairie um, and inhabited it in general. And Fields said that they are now invited back to engage in culturally important practices to them. Overall, I got the impression that the prairie is an inspiring place for many people for just as many reasons. I really enjoyed hearing volunteer caretaker John Helmer of Eugene describe his personal thoughts on the place. He's been coming out with his wife, Normandy, for three years now on a seasonal basis to live on the land and help maintain it. People might be, they might come because they know this is a great place for birds, say, or they know about the dark skies, or there's some aspect, but then they get there and they realize, oh, I'm interested in the flowers, I'm interested in the animals, I'm, uh, you know, the human history ends up being really, really interesting, even when people come for maybe the ecology, suddenly they're like, really, the Nez Perce was here, what happened, and then ranching came when, and how did the elk disappear, and were they reintroduced, and, and the human history is pretty, pretty great stuff, too, so I don't think there are very many people who are so narrow that they really are only interested in one thing, so one of the fun things is to kind of help answer their questions but then kind of crack the door open and say are, you know are you interested in this as well and because uh, there's just so much so much in these places uh, to value and enjoy so it's great to hear that there's something kind of for everybody out on the zoom wall uh, outside of making sure to download a map of the landscape dressing for the wind uh, you know what else should visitors know before they head out there 
those who visit will just want to make sure that their vehicle has tough tires as much of the prairie is only accessible by pretty rough rocky gravel roads um i had like a pretty small suv and there were times where i was definitely a little bit nervous about taking it out there the nature conservancy is also pretty strict on their leave no trace policy camping building fires and hunting are all prohibited Um, You also can't bring your dogs or your bikes uh, as they're worried about trampling or disturbing plants and animals that live there. All right. Thanks, Olivia. You can find all the information you may need on the Nature Conservancy's website at (laughs) nature.org. All right. Well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. If you liked what you've heard, check out our catalog of more than 60 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesmanjournal.com explore, along with Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resources Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforests.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast. If you want to plan a trip out there, you can check out their outdoor recreation map that shows all the places to hike, swim, boat, and camp. You can find that map at tillamookcoast.com slash recreation hyphen map. Once again, that's tillamookcoast.com slash recreation hyphen map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.